Hey, it's Chris Jarvis. And Kalia Metcalf. And thank you for, for listening, listening to It's a, a Queer Thing. thing. And this is... Uh, this is Chris. And we're here because it's a queer thing. It's a queer thing, all right. Hello. Hello. How are you? I'm good. How is Valentine's Day? Oh, my. I am a, um, a widow uh, on Valentine's Day. A for widower. Like, a widow... You're a dude, so widower. Oh, okay, okay, widower. I was not trying to be gender biased, oh. Erica. <laughs> Own your gender, my friend. Okay. All right. My husband runs DNL uh, Flowers, and so he is this time of year nuts. And um, he was very, very busy. So I don't do much for Valentine's Day. How about you? Uh, no, I did nothing for Valentine's Day because well, aren't we romantic people. We are. You know, my my big romantic thing that happened was my wonderful, wonderful husband, partner, person. Uh, he took on one of the disgusting chores of the house that I don't like to do. He completely cleaned our refrigerator, took everything out, and scrubbed out things that had spilled. Which it sounds mundane, but it was very appreciated. Oh yeah, I love when that happens. <laughs> but sometime I do want to do something more romantic at some point for for Valentine's Day, maybe like clean the dishwasher out. Uh, or something ooh, right? oh, now you're talking my language. <laughs> no, I was thinking more about maybe going on um, an out of town stay or something. It's been a long time since we've done that. Yeah, actually, my husband and I typically for years now have gone out of town. Uh, the weekend after Valentine's Day because he needs a break and you know I haven't seen him for a while this year that didn't happen because I'm hosting you're a, here I'm hosting a fundraiser tomorrow <laughs> oh, uh, co-hosting a fundraiser so but speaking of getting out of town uh, our first guest is Anna Marie dos Romedios Anna did I say that right yes you did all Yay. right cool she is with the Idle Hour Winery in Oakhurst welcome to the show thank you thank you so much so tell us um, a little bit about your facility and what you guys offer. Sure, and actually we have the Queens Inn by the river as well. It's a 12-room inn up on the Fresno River in Oakhurst uh, where our winery is located. Yeah, tell me, because uh, I see both of those things on your site, the Idle Hour Winery and Queens Inn. Are they connected? Are they right next to each other? They are right next to each other. We share uh, five acres on the Fresno River. Okay. And, um, yeah, and, and uh, through COVID, we developed the restaurant. So now it's actually Idle Hour Winery and Kitchen. All right. Oh, okay. It's kind of a one-stop one shop. You can come have fabulous meal with us, stay in our beautiful rooms. Um, we have eight rooms in our lodge and then a four king cabins now to enjoy on property. Um, as I said, you know, we are on the river, and it's a beautiful property. You can, you can walk, enjoy the ground, come up to the winery, do a wine tasting. How is also, it this time um, of year? Do you guys have snow or anything? Yeah, because well, you're pretty close week, to we're your gonna have to three or four days of snow. Uh-huh. <laughs> but it usually doesn't last very long, maybe a few hours here. Yeah. Right, you... We're at 2,300 elevations. So. Okay, and you are... Um... Oh, well, Kaylee has a question. Oh, Sorry. yes. Well, I, I was on your website, and I was noticing that you used to have a lot of live music and that it looked like a beer garden. It looked really yeah. nice. I'm guessing you had to close that down during COVID, but are you planning on having live music this summer? Yes, actually, we do it every year from May to October uh, for the last 15 years down at the Wine Bar and Beer Garden, which is at our inn. Um, and it's every Saturday night, usually from like 6 to 10, we have live music. Now we do dinner service down there as well. Um, you know, we didn't do it for 
the uh, 2020 season and 2021, we were able to bring back um, uh, the live music, or actually, we did it only uh, sporadically during 2021. In 2022, we had a full season of live music, so every Saturday night. You know, something that our locals uh, was always a gathering place for our locals. Um, and now we do get a lot of guests that come from Fresno, Clovis area, spend the night, or sometimes just drive up for the evening. Um, it, you know, we find that with our hotel, of course, the guests enjoy the music as well, but, uh, but really has become a gathering place for our locals. Cool. And then I saw on your website also order takeout. So do you guys just, or do you do that as well? So the winery, I mean, the restaurant was for the last two and a half years was mostly uh, wine tasting and lunch service outdoors. Right. We built these beautiful um, sort of patios. Um, you know, a lot of wineries did these sort of outdoor, or a lot of restaurants did these outdoor service areas, like in parking lots and the, and such. We we have a lot of space here, so we just added on uh, outdoor patio space. And we could actually seat like 140 oh, wow. outdoors comfortably. But um, but this year in October, we started a light dinner service. Now we're offering some indoor service uh, in our small tasting room, now dining room area, indoors. It's our first service indoors since COVID. Um, and so for us, it's been um, kind of an evolution or a lot of, uh, a lot of change where we've had... Um, you know, some opportunities to grow our space and 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 what we offer as a business. That's really helped with the inn as well, because a lot of our guests now can come and spend the weekend and, you know, enjoy food service on property and not feel like they have to leave the premises right. Um, right. to go into town to eat. Um, we do lunch service now uh, six days a week. We do Sunday brunch, which is actually how we started our food service and now we do dinner service four nights a week cool um you know as we move into summer we'll probably do more dinner service but it's been an evolution you know we've also noticed with climate change some difference in what we can do outdoors here right, right. Um, oh yeah you we've had hotter summers and, and colder winters as yeah. you can well imagine yeah were you guys affected by fires or you know we have been for the last seven or eight years every summer usually you know august september october kind of hard months uh, for that but this last year was pretty mild for us thankfully um, we've only been evacuated once in the last 15 years where we've actually had to pull people out you know close the inn and close right. the winery and mm-hmm. not and be closed down uh, for a fire it was I think in 19 and 2019 that was the first time we actually even pulled artwork off the walls because it was the first time we really truly felt like we had to evacuate but we um for the most part you know they've been close and in the periphery obviously around us in the mountains here for the last seven or eight years well speaking Um, you know speaking of artwork i saw on the website a picture of the sailing and fishing vessel that uh, i think that you it said that you guys named uh, the winery after your paternal grandfather's boat. Can you yeah. can you talk to us yeah. about that? The picture was really sure. cool. Thank you. So um, uh, interesting. Um, my uh, my partner and I own the inn and the winery together, and her grandmother was Queen. So the inn is named Queen's Inn after her grandmother's nickname. And um, her family owns this property. So when I moved the winery here from the Central Coast. 
Um, I wanted to get my family involved as well, and I was born in Hong Kong. My grandfather had a Chinese junk called the Idle Hour. Oh. So that's how we came up with the name for Idle Hour. So we are equal investors in the inn and the winery together, and um, and so we named the inn after her grandmother and the winery after my grandfather, basically. Cool, cool. And now you, you have a winery there. You make your own wine? Yes. Okay. And uh, tell us about, I saw something about a wine of the month club you guys do as well? Yeah, so we, um, you know, pre-COVID, I was about 2,500 cases a year. I'm probably producing about half of that now, about 1,200 cases a year. Mm. Um, we do have a wine club. We ship all over uh, the country, um, about 30 different states to our wine club members, um, most of which are in the area or in or in California. But, but like I said, we do offer uh, shipping uh, to these other states that we are licensed in. And, you know, it's it's really, um, for me, it's more like a measure of support. So a lot of our club members, you know, they struggled during COVID. We didn't do a lot of regular shipments because people were financially having, you know, more more issues um, through COVID. So we're just now sort of revamping and revitalizing our wine club shipments. And um, what I did find was that a lot of our club members still or began just to show up on the regular um, and and to support us and to enjoy now our food service because it really has become a gathering place for them. Cool. So they felt safe here. Um, a lot of them are in their 60s uh, or 50s, 60s, 70s. And, uh, you know, it's a place where they feel safe enough to come and enjoy the food service and be outdoors. And um, so much so that the last three years we have offered to go food but in the form of a family meal okay oh. so we will we will continue to do that through the winter months as many of them are older and don't like to drive at night um we will offer you know this to-go meal for two or three or four to five where they can pick it up and eat for a few days without having you know to cook or to yeah, drive at night yeah. to go out to eat That's things amazing. like that up in the mountains it's a little bit harder here because it gets dark early. Oh yeah, and you know it's slippy. The roads are more slippery and things like that. All right. So, so you're about an hour from Fresno, right? Yep. Okay. So, tell us how people get hold of you. How they book rooms. How they book. Do you guys do weddings and parties and things like that? We do. Um, we also offer a supper club once a month. It's a three course paired wine dinner, first Saturday of every month. It's a fantastic experience. Um, it's seated. Now we're doing them indoors, and so we do it kind of more family style, but it's really allowed our community, um, you know, the opportunity to engage with each other and uh, and really be present and spend some time as a community. Um, that's been important for us as a small restaurant. We're Mediterranean-style food, so a bit healthier. Right. We really won't find anything fried on our menu. Most mm-hmm. of it is, you know, for lunch service, paninis, flatbreads, salads, cool. fresh soups. We are a scratch kitchen, so everything is made, uh, you know, made by hand. Cool. And, um, you know, I, I just think on, on uh, as a total package, the property has a lot of, there's a lot of opportunity for small weddings or small gatherings, um, intimate uh, family dinners, things that we can do here on premise. We have uh, a large patio down at our wine bar and beer garden that we've used for weddings. Um, we have a beautiful deck that we built there last year as well, an 800-square-foot deck that has a lot of opportunity overlooking the river. So it's a beautiful place to hang out. 
Cool. Um, well, tell us how people, uh, how do they book through your website? Yeah, they can, uh, they can go online. There's a contact us page on our website, both for the inn and the winery. We share the same website. If you go to queensinn.com or eilarwinery.com, it goes to the same place. Um, the winery's phone number is my cell phone number. So, you know, people can always call the winery number okay. and contact me uh, directly. Um, email wine at idlehourwinery.com or wine at queensin.com and we can, uh, you know, uh, answer any questions cool. about events or, you know, our service, our regular service here. All right. All right. Great. Well, thank you so much for yeah. being on the show, Anna. We will put all that information in the show notes when we post online so people can get in touch with you. And uh, we appreciate you being on the show. All right. Thank you so much. I really appreciate it. Thank you. Take care. Bye-bye. Uh, yes, going away for the weekend. It's one of those romantic things that happened a lot more before I had a child. <laughs> yeah, but I mean, the thing about Oakers is it's very close. It's only an hour away, and you get back to yep. nature, and it's close to Yosemite and all that stuff. Yeah, nature. Hmm. Some people really <laughs> like nature. Nature. <laughs> I've heard it's nice. <laughs> so. Well, it's not camping. They have rooms. They That's have true. That's, yeah. Yes, yes. You don't have to pitch a tent here. Thank goodness. Yeah. <laughs> well, neither one of us are very good at that. Um, <laughs> well, actually, I'm probably pre- okay. I'm you know what? Like, leave that, that alone. Me. Okay. Well, Moving you, you on. drew me into that. Go ahead, move on. <laughs> yes, our next segment. We were going to talk real quick about some of our romantic memories. Um, so, and this is just in case you want. I know we're past Valentine's Day, but we wanted to carry it over to this yeah. show and still talk about love and romance and all that stuff. Okay. I have to say, I mean, I already shared really about the, the, the doing the chores. My, my husband does a lot of good romantic gestures. He's very, very supportive of me and living my authentic life and, and just being a great partner and one of those people who's always going to bring me an ice pack for, you know, all, all the places that I hurt as I get older. That was very revealing, Kaylee. No, <laughs> I'm just saying. I come back from kickball practice, and he almost always oh, has. Oh, that's how you get kickball practice. <laughs> okay. Yes, that is how I get kickball practice in. So what's your romantic uh, memory? Um, I think my favorite romantic memory is probably uh, when I, he proposed. It was okay. a wonderful proposal. Tell us about that. Well, we had been spending, we, we were in Santa Cruz. That's where we did a lot of our dating. And um, we used to go to the Friday night concerts and we would hang out at the beach and we'd watch the free concerts and it was really, really nice. And so at one point we went for a little walk up on the cliff area over where the, the concerts were. And he said, oh, you know, spending those Friday nights with you over the last year and watching the concerts was just really great. Those are like happy times. And I realized at one point, that I want to spend all my Friday nights with you, whether we're watching concerts or not. And so then he proposed, and the rest is private. But whatever. I said yes. Private. (laughs) We'll do an uncensored version later. (laughs) It was wonderful. So that was great. That was a wonderful memory. What about you? Well, mine was, I mean, I have plenty with James, where he's a very romantic guy. Um, We met about 27 years ago, um, and he was living in Phoenix, and I was living in Fresno. We actually met in San Francisco through a mutual friend. So for the first three or four months, we would fly back and forth, and, and, and I'd go to Phoenix, he'd come to Fresno. And um, it was Christmas time, 
and his he he lived in this little complex that was like three houses and a and another little apartment and um there were like five or six guys that lived there and every year they'd have a big christmas party and i say big like 400 people or more oh wow because they had a big property a big swimming pool and a, and they set up a stage and james uh was friends with cc peniston mm-hmm. who did the song finally he met her while he was working at foster's as a bartender wow. in uh uh phoenix and so she came to the event and she performed on the stage and there were lots of drag performances and little did i know one of the drag performers talked to him and said you know would you like me to uh, you, you guys are so cute would you like me to sing a special song for him and we had decided that our song already at that point was dreaming by selena because we lived apart and i'm dreaming of you that kind of thing and we were both that was already well into our um personas at that point and i'm standing there watching the drag shows and some of this drag queen gets up and starts singing dreaming by selena and i was just you know touched beyond belief and then about a month later or so he moved to fresno and the rest is history so when we're doing a different segment i will tell you the story of how we got our special song it involves the bbc and me yelling obscenities at strangers oh we definitely want to hear that yeah we do save that for another (laughs) show everybody For sure. Um, Okay, but we got to move on because we have so much show today. Our next segment is an interview that we did uh, with, uh, we were really lucky. We got to talk to Brian Medina. He's currently a teacher at Buchanan High School, but he has been a fixture in the Fresno literary community for over 20 years. He's a former student of California's poet laureate Juan Felipe Herrera, and Brian's poetry has been featured all over the nation. He founded the Inner Ear as a way to free poetry from the confines of academic institutions. He's making it accessible to all and currently helps run the Fresno Beatdown. More on that in a few. Right. And Brian has been awarded two City of Fresno accommodations for contributions to Fresno's rich artistic and cultural heritage. And the Fresno Arts Council appointed Brian to a two-year term as Poet Laureate in 2017. Here's our interview with Brian. So, Brian, thank you so much for taking the time to talk to us today. Thank you, uh, Kayla. This is uh, a great chance to say hello to people and to uh, have a chance to talk to you and and Chris. And uh, yeah, yeah, I'm excited. <laughs> so I met you when we were both uh, doing some stuff for the Fresno Library. I actually got to see you perform voodoo at one of the library competitions for the youth, which was very cool. In fact, listeners, if you go on YouTube and you type in S. Brian Medina voodoo or S. Brian Medina Fresno poetry, the video, um, I'm the redhead in the front row, just FYI, that's that's me. That's that's me. So anyways, but I wanted to ask you about what being a poet laureate of Fresno means. What does it mean to be a poet laureate? And what does that mean to you personally, specifically? Well, my definition, everybody's got a definition, you know, my definition of poet laureate breaks down to doing for community, you know, all those things uh, that entail creative thought, creative thinking, you know, thought thinking, you know, anything creative, especially writing. And so during my term, which was seven years ago, (laughs) I wanted to hit the schools. I hit the preschools. I hit the the high schools. I went into JCs and universities all around California and talked about and shared my my work and my thoughts about my work, uh, the craft of writing and how important it is to share with the younger generation 
to get them to be more expressive and not hold things in. Because when we hold things in, we see a lot of stuff on TV that's happening. And I, I honestly believe that that's a process of people holding something in and they not, they're not expressing themselves or they're not expressing themselves well, or they're not talking to other people to work through their issues. I'm not going to say problems because problems has this big, ugly cloud of something else issues we can work through. Brian, so I wanted to ask you about, uh, um, I've written poetry my whole life, and I think a lot of writers write poetry, but poetry itself is fairly inaccessible. Well, not inaccessible, but it's not that welcome by the masses, whereas spoken word is a lot more accessible to people and welcome. We had a huge renaissance in the 90s, and I've always respected the fact that a spoken word takes poetry to the next level because, you know, it's kind of performance art at the same time. So tell me why, number one, you chose to go to write poetry and why mostly you chose to go into spoken word. I got into writing because I was severely, I am severely dyslexic. And so I had a lot of problems reading. My math is unbelievably horrible. And so in my younger years in trying to learn how to read, my, my father was a teacher. And so he had another teacher he was working with, work with me and they showed me a comic book. It all led up to me looking at and then eventually understanding what these, these heroes were doing. And in that, that got me thinking, well, I, maybe I can do my own stories. And I started on that path. And then as I was going ahead and trying to, you know, do my own writing, along came hip hop and rap. And so I, I got to see these cats, you know, LL Cool J, Schooly School, Special Ed, you know, Curtis Blow, Run DMC, all these cats started putting uh, lyrical words with music. And I was like, oh, yeah, yeah. And that was cool and fine and dandy. And I tried and I'm okay if I wanted to go that, you know, that direction. But I felt that at that time, and still now to some degree, that it's very limiting because you you get 16 bars and you kind of have to go with the same rhyme scheme, you know, mm -hmm. for the most part, or right. you're making up words or you're coming up, you know. And so and I'm not dissing anybody who does all that rap and, and hip hop. God bless them. Do your thing. You know, the world's an open place. But for me, I felt I had more freedom of getting my points across and in doing it in such a way where it was exciting and where it was the audience could not only listen, but jump into my little world as I'm performing it. Yeah, like uh, what was the show? And then was it Deaf Comedy? Yes, in the 90s. Deaf, Deaf Comedy, Comedy Jam, Comedy right? Jam. Yeah. yeah. And then that broke off to Deaf Poetry Jam, right? also done by Russell Simmons. And you got the likes of Saul Williams, Bo Sia, and, and others, you know, who jumped into that 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 uh, nice vehicle and, and took off with it, you know? Yeah, and it was, it was usually very personally related. It was the story of the poet or the spoken word person sharing. If you had just written that down and shared it with people, you know, you might catch a few people, but if you stood up and spoke it in the performance art kind of way, it really moved a lot of people. I love that show. Oh, yeah. It, it really plays upon being real, right. being there in the moment. It captured a snapshot of something. And people like that, you know, because we if, if you go back in time, you learn that, you know, we as humans gathered around the fire and we told stories. 
You know, this is how people learn something, how people found out about the latest news, how people related to one another. You know, this is how civilization was built. And so off that, we still got that heartbeat and, and you could feel that in these wonderful performances that artists do. That's a great point. The beat that comes with those spoken word performances really touches everybody. Yeah, that's a great point. So I've read in other interviews that a lot of your early writing came out of your time in gangs or trying to remove yourself from that. And I'm wondering if you could talk about how poetry and your writing helped you escape from where you didn't want to be and how it got you to where you do want to be. My father, behind closed doors, wasn't a a very nice guy. There was a lot of abuse, uh, physical and mental abuse from my mom all the way down to me and my siblings. And he wasn't home a lot. He was not very nice to my mother. And so he went out on her and did other things. And so that left a lot of time. I'm being, uh, me being the oldest out of four siblings, one who passed on and two who are still living. It, it, I had a lot of time on my hands. And so I, I went into myself. And at the time, since my old man left, we had to go on welfare, my mom and, and the kids. And uh, back in those times, $200 wasn't getting it, you know, and still don't get it. And so to help my mom, I got jumped into one of the local gangs. And what the, the thing about me jumping into the gangs, everybody knew my old man was a special ed teacher. They had him as a teacher and he made a a good impression on them. And so when I was looking for money, they already had a name that I didn't even know. And so they took me in. I got beat, I jumped in, got beat up and whatnot. And they showed me love where I didn't have that, you know, male parental figure. And I was a drug runner from, from a young age, 11 to about 13, 14. And I took packages from A to B, you know, and as I got older in that, I got really good with it. And so a few of the, my so-called friends, they got jealous and, and they beat me up and it, it, mm. they took a crowbar to my arm. And so if you look closely at my right arm, you can see a drastic bend in it mm. <laughs> that never got set right uh, because of all the stuff that the doctors had to do to manipulate to get it back to working again. And so now as I was in that situation, I was already starting to write. And so I needed things to write about. And so I would tell, I journaled. My first thing was journaling. You know, I took this package to there. I saw my friend, Bill, we talked the talk, you know, and that was my, that was my, my day-to-day weekly kind of entries, you know, because you're not going to go up to your mom. Hey mom, I jumped into the gang and now I'm making, you know, you know, she would, you know, get out of here. You know, if I couldn't, I couldn't say it to my father too. He just like, boy, get my belt. Things you don't do. And so uh, it, it was a tough, it was a tough life back then. And poetry, I mean, it sounds cliche as, oh, get out. And I hate that, but it really did save my life. Mm-hmm. It, it it got me away from a lot of a lot of big big ugly things you know the 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 men of this group of the gang you know they really took a liking to me and it's like hey man you're gonna I don't know what you're gonna do but there's something special about you so we're gonna take you off the heavy stuff you know you're you're just running that's all you're doing but uh, I got caught up and uh, I had to do a little bit of time you know in juvenile hall. And then uh, from juvenile hall, I pleaded out and got a deal to go into the military. Now, this now these were the days before little kids 
they t- send you directly to jail, you know? And so, yeah, that, I, it, it, the funny thing about that is I get to jail, you know, I do all this jail time and whatnot at the CYA. Nowadays, you know, they, they kind of forget you. They lock you up and forget you. And so I was doing my time and it's like, well, you go in the military. You know, I'm thinking, oh, that's easy. I, my old man used to yell at me, beat me up. Military is going to be okay. I get in the military in the middle of my boot camp. Hussein decides to invade Kuwait starting the Gulf War. So now I'm in a real war instead of like a turf war and all this other junk. So yeah, it it, it got thick <laughs> to say the least. Brian, tell me, I mean, when you started writing, did you share your writing with those immediate to you, like family and friends? Uh, no, I did share with my my father, and uh, he he surprisingly was like, "Oh, you're trying to write." The dyslexic is trying mm. to write, and it's like, "Oh wow, he put it that way, huh?" Yeah, yeah, and he, you know, he, he kind of pointed me on some things, and uh, I, you know, in high school, it was Mr. Todd that helped me out, and this was your creative writing teacher, or yes, yes, he was my creative writing teacher. I'm going to be honest, my special ed teacher, because again, I was severely dyslexic, and uh, yeah, I, I started to to learn the craft and, and threw some names at me that just helped me uh, do my things. You know, I was a big Langston Hughes fan. To this day, I'm still loving Langston Hughes. Maya Angelou was another big influence on me. Gil Scott Heron, Whitey on the Moon. Yeah, uh, those cats. Great jazz singer, right? Wasn't he a yes. jazz Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yes, he was. Uh, his biggest album, Winter in America. Still love that. Yeah, those cats kind of really turned me on to what could be, what could be, what could happen when you think outside your small little world of the self and think about the wider world and what's going on. And how did you transition from some poetry to, to doing the spoken word? Did you go somewhere and try it out? Were you trying it out at home in your room? What was going on? That transition uh, happened in the late 90s, early 2000s. A great friend of mine, when I call him my brother, uh, Jay McElroy, he came up with the idea of trying to start a slam here in Fresno. He asked me, you know, hey, Brian, what do you think about Slam? And at that time, you know, Def Poetry Jam was hot. You know, all right, these right. cats were coming out. And it's like, you know what? We don't know until we know. Let's let's try it. And so, and at that time, I had started the Inner Ear Poetry Jam, which was an open mic. Its emphasis was on poetry. And so it's like, well, let's turn, let's turn that corner and see. And so we had two shows going on. We had the Inner Ear, and then we had the Beatdown, both at the old Full Circle Brewery on F Street. Yeah, yeah. Those cats sold it a couple of years back before COVID hit. And a new group of uh, owners have it. And a young kid, a young, a young, a young man that was at Hoover, because that's where I teach. One of my regular students, I took him to one of our inner ear shows. And years later, he ended up getting the job as their promotionals guy. And he called me up. He goes, Brian, hey, man, you took me over here and I got a taste of that. And I, I, I haven't forgotten you. And I want to I work. I work here now. I want to see if you want to come back and and work with us with some poetry, you know. And so cool. that's what we did. And so now we have the free writers workshop that goes on once a month, every uh, second Thursday. And then we're, we also created a quarter slam of the Beatdown Slam where we, we're going to do it up a little bit bigger than our, re- our regular monthly show. And that, that's going to go on uh, every four months. 
that's going to be like a $200 prize, an invitational. We're going to have some special guests. We're really excited to come back after COVID to see people, to see poets again, to have Fresno have that, that community that has been missed, not only by me, but I'm sure by others. And will you be performing or taking part? Or are you now kind of more doing the back end logistics aspect? That's a great question. I will, I, I, I'm a co-host along with Michael Dominguez, who is another young man that uh, saw the show when we were the inner ear and grew up with the program and is now my co-host. Yeah, we, we, we both shared uh, hosting duties. And for those shows, it's not about Brian Medina. It's about those poets who are trying to, you know, come up in the, in the game and, and win a prize and uh, make a name for themselves. You know, I've been lucky enough here in the Central Valley, particularly Fresno, to have made my name, cut my teeth on the spoken word and open mic and have done wonderful things. Because of that, I got the third position of Poet Laureate which I served for two years, seven years ago. And it's still paying me dividends by uh, hooking up with uh, a couple of nonprofits that I do work for. I did something in the middle of summer last year for the California mental health people. I did a nice little 30, 30 second spot about mental health using uh, doing my own original poetry for the camera. And that went off really good. So yeah, keep them busy. The spoken word stuff that I've seen you do online, a lot of it's about Fresno and the conditions around Fresno, the crime, the air, those kinds of things. Talk about that for a second. Well, Fresno, I tell you what, what, what blows my mind still is that people that live here, a lot of people don't know about the wonderful poetry history that we have stretching back from Phil Levine all the way up to Juan Felipe Herrera, who was our nation's poet laureate. Yeah, you know, and then we have current California poet laureate, Lee Herrick, who was our second poet laureate. He was before me, before I got the third spot. Yeah, and then there's something, It's it, it's got to be in the water, the air, the, the things that we do that people love about Fresno Poets because we, we, we're, we're real with it. There's something that work ethic that we put into our writing to learn the craft, to to really paint a picture for our audience and to drive it home by saying something deep at the same time. So is Fresno your current inspiration or do you have other inspirations? Are you still writing? Yeah, my, my book, More Than Soil, Less Than Sand, that came out about the same time I got Poet Laureate Ship. And so we're currently working on a second one. We've been working on it religiously for the last two years. There's about 11 pieces, but, you know, you're always tweaking. You're always uh, refining. There's this thing, at least for me, that when you think of Brian Medina and poetry, you have to, you have to, you have to bring it. You have to do it a certain way. And it's between that line of page poet and performance poet. You know, I want to say something deep and meaningful, but I want to do it in a performative way. Mm -hmm. so. Do you find a problem getting to the point where you say, okay, it's done. I can't do any, I mean, of course you can do more to it, but at some point you've got to end it. One thing I've learned at least with my poems, it's never done. It's never <laughs> it's done. Never done. Yeah, no, it's never done. Mind, and yeah. so you have to, you have to be happy with it, you know? Right. And then once you let it go out, it, it, it it's the people's you know, yeah, exactly. and they're going to make and or do with it what they will. You know, I've been very lucky that like I said, I've sold out my book twice 
it's theirs now and and it is what it is and 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 sometimes i go back and tweak them if i know i'm gonna read them again right i'll, I'll update them it, it also makes me wonder because your poetry is very visceral and the spoken word aspect of it is such an intrinsic part of it, the performance, that I would imagine if a person is just reading your book, but they haven't heard you perform, then it would might be difficult to put your voice, obviously, and your cadence and, and the, the energy that you bring to it. So it's a very different experience reading your poetry versus oh, yes. seeing your poetry. Yes. And this is, the, this is that Occam's razor that a lot of slam poets face when they're trying to get published. It sounds wonderful. You know, you, you got this energy up on stage, but can you transfer that into the page? And sometimes it's hard. Right. It's really hard. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. So far, two years hard. <laughs> <laughs> so I had a, a question. When I saw you perform Voodoo, you mentioned your roots that you had recently found out stretching back to Haiti and your grandmother being a voodoo priestess. And I was wondering if you could talk about the legacy and your your past and how that informs who you are today and how that informs the way you look at the world. <laughs> Unfortunately, my grandma, by the time I was born, she was very ill and she uh, she had moved to Louisiana. And at, also at that time, I, I was a young kid, so I couldn't drive. I couldn't have no people to uh, take me to go see her. And so the only few things I have of her are a, few, uh, a picture or two and some written letters. And so everything else is, you know, up here, up in the mind. I had to make my own story and talk to other uh, people on my dad's side of the family to, to fill that in. And that's where uh, voodoo came from. You know, mm-hmm. how that informs me is that even before I was made, uh, there was that whimsical, mystical thing that uh, that I like to think that I put into my writing that uh, gives it that oomph. Very cool. Brian, um, you know, for those listening or those out there that, you know, I think a lot of people write poetry but never do anything with it. Mm. What do you think is the process a smart process for someone to get involved. I think it's easier probably to get involved in the spoken word stuff because there's stuff going on publicly. But what, how would you suggest somebody gets involved in this and moves forward? Uh, here in Fresno, I would suggest they come out here to our free writers workshop at Full Circle, you know, and learn the basics. Yeah. Learn the basics of the craft. You know, what is a, a sistina? What is a sonnet? What is a villanelle? You know, all those things, you know, a, a line, line breaks, you know. Right. What's wonderful is, again, my tenure as Port Laureate seven years ago is still paying dividends because I can still go over here to Fresno State or Fresno City, uh, as well as elsewhere, to pick out these wonderful people who do me a favor and uh, come on in and, and teach for 90 minutes, you know, teach what they got, you know, like one of their university or uh, city college classes. And not only do you get that, but you get around other writers who are trying, who are searching for that same thing. And maybe they won't go up on the stage. Maybe they won't pursue a writing career, but they learn self-expression and they learn how to get that on paper. So maybe they could better explain to their child or their children uh, what they went through. If, if they decided that they wanted to learn more, maybe more spoken word, and they get up on the stage, then they jump over here to the beatdown slam. Again, another, same community, same people, 
now you're talking about performance and and how do you get that that energy across to your your viewers as well as your listeners right and hopefully that gets the gets them the bug what else can i learn spoken word has been really good to me how do i make that transition to the the written word you know and this is where we're talking about you know going ahead and maybe taking a class at Fresno City or uh, state, uh, maybe pursue a MFA. And, but you don't need, necessarily need a master's to 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 write. You know, there's plenty of writers out there without their masters who who are doing you know book after book. But yeah, there there's many avenues. This is just one of those many avenues to take here locally. With so many writers that we have, you could pick up a rock and throw, and it's like, oh, you hit a you hit a poet, you know. Yeah. And so uh, there's plenty of people to talk to, including myself and the people you're going to meet at these functions. Spoken word, especially in poetry, as well, it's really all about self-expression. So people that maybe can't talk to other people in their life about what they're feeling, but they can write a poem or they can get up in a small group and and do some spoken word and get these feelings out. It really helps to promote your own self-dignity, your own respect, your own sure. self Yeah, yeah, yeah. We turn on the TV, we see a bunch of news, a lot of negative news out there. And so, and I, and I honestly believe it's because we're not talking to one another, you know, because when we talk to one another, we use this and not this. Right. You know, we don't use a fist and bat and bash or guns or whatnot. You know, we 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 sit down and we 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 examine one another and we talk and we share stories and we this this whole big wall comes down like, hey, you're like me, mm -hmm. I'm like you, and so maybe we can start a better dialogue. The TV, they're all about sensationalism. They're they're about ratings. They're about getting their their commercial money. You know, so you can't always be so tuned in that everything's going to hell in a handbasket and it's not yeah there's some bad things going on truly in in america but we start with ourselves and we work outward build your own community go find like-minded people and be open enough for for new suggestions and or ideas and this is how we're gonna beat beat back this this terrible thing that we have out there right now right the division that we have out there exactly totally yeah totally great point you basically just answered my last question, which was about advice for future writers and people struggling to feeling, you know, <laughs> overwhelmed. So I'm going to pretend like I already asked it. And <laughs> But Brian, I noticed that you're not super active on Twitter anymore. Is there a place where the public could find you or send you in questions or, or is it just to go to the, the beatdown slams? How can the people get in touch with you if they should? <laughs> I love I love my Facebook. You know, you can find me at Brian. Medina, Facebook.com, you know. Uh, you can also find me at, at Twitter at Brian Medina2040. Uh, since Elon has been in charge, I just haven't been really <laughs> up on it too much. But yeah, I need to get I need to get back up on there. Thank you, Kayla, for, for calling me out. <laughs> you can also reach me at Brian Medina2040 at gmail.com. Brian, thank you so much for your time. This was so much fun. Thank you for reaching out. Great talking to you. Have a great evening and uh, I hope we uh, do it again. And if not, I'll see you on Facebook. So special thanks to Brian for talking to us. And if you want to hear more about the Beatdown Poetry Slam, you can visit their Facebook page at facebook.com slash inner ear beat down slam. 
In the studio with us now is Brian T. Clark. Hi, Hi Brian. Hi, Brian. Hi. Thank you for having me. <laughs> um, I'm going to do a quick little bio of you, and then we're going to talk to you. So for our listeners, Brian is an award-winning, multi-published author and a proud member of the LGBTQ community. After 27 years in law enforcement, he retired in 2015. Brian writes gay fiction with an emphasis on moral dilemmas and M slash M romance. Hi. Hi. I'm so glad that you're here. Um, I, I saw on your on your website, because I was there today, that you wrote privately for years, but it wasn't until 2012 when you shared your work with your husband. So can you talk about the journey that ending your career as a police officer and embarking on this very different chapter of being a writer? Yes. Well, in high school, I used to ride the bus, and the bus ride was about 40 minutes long. So me and my friend, we on the bus, I would dictate and she would write whatever I was whatever I was coming up with. So that's how we did our stories. And then during classroom time, during our typing session, we'd type everything up. <laughs> so we did that all through high school and then after high school, I just stopped writing and I never wrote again. In my job as a investigator, most of my cases, you know, when I was done with the case, it could be 70, 80, 90 pages. So I spent years, 28 years, writing case reports, mm. which is strictly all... It's cl um, clinical. It's not very much fun, right? 100%. Yeah, yeah. and yeah. it's all facts. It's all bullets. It's, um, it's These are the facts. So as I was nearing close to retirement, I thought, what am I going to do? Mm -hmm. And I thought, oh, I'll find a job in a nursery and go water some plants. <laughs> <laughs> and so I was bored one day and I just started writing. And it was like I could not put the pen down. Uh. And within probably 20 days, I wrote my first novel. Wow. And that was Come to the Oaks. Mm -hmm. And it was a historical gay fiction. And I showed it to my husband and he was reading it, and he said, this is really good. You should publish it. I'm like, nah, it's not that good, really. He's like, no, you should really publish this. And so I start looking at the publishing world, and, and how do you even go about having a book published? And through all of my research, I realized that I didn't want to do that. I didn't want to go traditional publishing because I didn't want to sell my work. I didn't want to give it away. So I started looking at how do you, how are people self-publishing? Mm -hmm. And once I started going down that train, it just occupied all of my time. And I thought, this is what I'm going to do when I retire. And so that's how I fell into it. So um, Kaylee and I are both writers, and I'm going to gloss over the wrote my first novel in 20 days comment, <laughs> because that's unbelievable. Um, it takes a long time to write. Um, so tell us about what genre you like to write in. Well, my, the genre that I like to write in is ro romantic suspense with an emphasis on moral dilemma for all of my characters. As a gay person, I didn't want to write the typical Hallmark movie where it's just fluffy and everything is just wonderful all through the, the all right. through the, right. the book. I wanted to write something that that most of us in the LGBTQ community that we've lived through, yeah, mm -hmm. yeah. that we've actually said, "Oh yeah, I've had this happen to me." 
So what's the plot of your first book? So the plot of the first book is it's about a, a slave who has a relationship with the master's son. And it's quite a dilemma there because, of course, not only are you dealing with interracial at in 1845, but you're dealing with a slave and a white male. So this is a, a, a male slave and a male uh, uh, slave owner's son. Yes. Okay. Yes. And so... So multiple levels of taboo here. Yeah. Very much so. And mm-hmm. so I wrote this book and I decided that it was so taboo that I was not going to publish it. So I wrote another book. Okay. And I published that book first. Oh, okay. And once I built an audience, then I released that book, Come to the Oaks, because I thought they know me well enough, they understand where where my head is, right. where where mm-hmm. my writing is going. So you are a gay man who's happily married, and you write about gay romances. Are your characters typically black, or do you write outside of your ethnicity? I do. I okay. um, in Diego's Secret. He's from he's from Mexico, and he came over the border illegally. Mm-hmm. And the person he falls in love with was that person that says no illegals they need to come um you need to do your application you need to wait in line um send them all back and those are the two people who fall in love (laughs) and they could not be more opposite of each other so the moral dilemma is this is this guy's life this is how he's viewed life this is how his family views life and now he's falling in love with this person who goes against everything he thought he believed. And it was a real teaching moment for him. So you, yeah. you explore how this person comes around by falling in love with this immigrant and yes. how his thinking comes around. That's fascinating yeah. because yeah. we talk on this show all the time about, you know, if you just get to know a gay person, yeah. that's a, a, come out if you can. Uh, be as public as you can if possible because the more people get to know us, the more they change their mind about us. Absolutely. In, in one of my books called Gideon's Wish... It is about an HIV-positive person, and he falls in love with an African-American man who he's never dated an African-American person before, and this African-American person has never dated an HIV-positive person before. So that book was um, very telling in, I'm in my late 50s, so my experience in the 80s with HIV was very different than the young kids today and mm-hmm. what they're experiencing. Oh, yeah, definitely. It's completely different. So in this book, because my audience is probably a little bit younger than me, but not quite as young as, as young people today, they're reading something and they're saying, oh, I didn't know you could take a pill a day and, and be okay. Right, and right. I didn't know you could date a, if you were not HIV positive. I didn't know you could date an HIV positive yeah, person. Yeah. You know what's crazy is to think about that books that take place in the 80s would be considered historical fiction at this point. Isn't that? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Makes me feel old. <laughs> and, yeah, and, and one of the great things about this book uh, with an HIV positive person is he doesn't die in the end. Yeah. Oh, All yay. of those books... <laughs> <laughs> Sorry, that's the happy bell. That's the Sorry. Happy bell. <laughs> yeah, because I mean, we've all read those books, mm-hmm. and they all die in the end. Yeah, yeah. Because that was 
that was the story. And we all know that in the 60s, in the movies, the gay people always died or committed suicide or were killers. I mean, so yeah, that's... I love the fact that you're talking about social issues, sometimes in a historical way, but stuff that is definitely still social issues today. That's that's amazing. It, yeah. it, can you talk to me more about that? Like, what, what drives you to not just write fluff? I think what drives me to not write fluff is I write what I want to read. Ah. And I have a hard time finding a book that I can actually get through without putting it down at yeah. page 100. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, it's, you know, Ancient House of Cards was another book that I thought I was going to catch a lot of flack for because it was about a priest who ends up dating a young man in his congregation. And he gets thrown out of the priesthood. And, and it's the story of so many people have an opinion on priest and, and then being gay and... And this is a this is a story, one man's story, of how he he came into the priesthood really wanting to that's what he wanted to do. Mm-hmm. And as we all do, you know, we evolve in life. And he evolved realizing that yes, I want to be a priest, but I'm also a gay man. Right, right. And, and, and restricted in the church that he can't, you know, express that in the way that he wants to, yeah. Absolutely. Yeah. Amazing, so. amazing. And I, you have seven novels, right, that yes. have been out, and you have one that's coming out in May? Yes, yes. That is uh, dealing with uh, a gentleman who's on the spectrum, and it's, um, it's showing that even with autism, even on the spectrum, there is love for everybody. Yeah. And, you know, we can all have a healthy, beautiful uh, relationship. I love that. Yeah. I and love I love that. that your books, are they all kind of have diametrically opposed characters that come together and, and overcome their prejudices, so to speak. So that's, I think that's really important and very relevant to the LGBTQ community because we're trying to do that our whole lives, whether it's family, friends, people we meet on the street. It's always like, you know, I'm just a regular person like you are, so let's yes. talk, have yes. a conversation. So, so tell us what <clears throat> your website is called so that we can send people there for sure. Uh, oh, it is btclark.com. Dot com. Yeah. yeah, and I, one thing, uh, listeners, I have to tell you, is that on this website, you Brian has blog posts, you can read about the books, but you also have something that is called a Reader's Lounge newsletter. Can you tell us real quick what that is? Yeah. Yeah, the Reader's Reader's Lounge newsletter is very exclusive to what I'm doing right now. So those those people in the Reader's Lounge, they get to see the book cover long before anybody else gets to see the book cover. They get to read excerpts from the book before it's even published. They get to read deleted scenes that aren't even in the book. <laughs> um, they get to hear why I'm creating that book. Mm-hmm. And what's the thing with recipes on your website? Oh, uh, well... It's very cool, I yeah, have to it, say. <laughs> it, the recipes come from Come to the Oaks, and there was a, there was a uh, sweet potato pie. And somebody asked me, we had a conversation about this sweet potato pie, and it was kind of a conversation between sweet potato pie versus pumpkin pie. And so she says, well... Can you put the recipe on your website so I could try it? <laughs> and I said, sure. And from that, I just started putting recipes. Recipes that relate to your books? Yeah. So yeah, they're it, all from the, from the characters cool, in the books. Cool, yeah. cool. So if a character is cooking uh, dinner for their first date and he's roasting lamb, 
and it's done in a reduction sauce. You're going to find that recipe on my That's a great idea. Website. It's amazing. Great idea, yeah. <laughs> Are you on TikTok at all, Brian? You know, I've tried TikTok and I find myself laughing so much that it's like, okay, I'm, I just can't be this funny. No, friend, <laughs> I swear to God, a whole series of the recipes from your books on, on TikTok, was, TikTokers love those recipes. I'm really? just saying, yeah. I would watch the crap out of you <laughs> making food and talking about how it relates to your characters. Anyways, just file that away. But um, thank you so much for being here to talk to us. And stay with us, and, Brian. Yeah. going to stay with us through Definitely. the next uh, couple of segments here. Uh, we wanted to talk about uh, keeping on the romance theme. We wanted to talk about our favorite romantic movie. Kaylee, you want to start? Um, sure. I don't really like romance. <laughs> I'm sorry. It's okay, true. Okay. Well, get ready um, for that. No, no, I know. No, 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 no. Um, so... I have a very, very, very short list of rom-coms that I can can stand. Uh, right. But music and lyrics is on that list. <laughs> that I, love- I can stand. Not that I like. <laughs> that I can stand. I like music, music and, and lyrics. lyrics. Is that it's Drew, Drew Barrymore? Barrymore right. Yes, and Hugh Grant. And what I like about it is that they like there's mutual respect. Nobody's breaking up with somebody else to be with you. There's no cheating. It's they're politically both politically correct. They're okay. both adults. It's not about being political <laughs> correct. I just don't like it when it's like, oh, we're gonna break somebody up because then you have to, you know, you have a villain. But yeah, yeah, you know, yeah, whatever. Yeah. Plus, the music was cute, and it was all throwback to the '80s. So okay. I like that. But most romantic movies that I can think of that are like romantic movies are sad, and I don't like sad movies. Uh-huh. But I will tell you that I love *Brokeback Mountain*. Oh, that's one of my favorites, and it makes me cry every time. It's a brilliant movie. Yeah, and it was a great book. It was. Um I'm going to give you a couple of one that's off kilter, and one that may not be. I like *Notting Hill*. With Hugh Grant. Oh, with Hugh Grant. And, yeah. And, um, <laughs> Julia Ju- Roberts. Julia Roberts. I love that movie. It's funny. It's smart. I'm with okay. you. I like things that are smarter on the smarter side. So I love that movie, and it makes me cry at the end. And, you know, I'm just a girl standing in, in front, front of, of a boy, boy asking him to love her. It's, what I like are all the memes. Like, I'm just a woman standing in front of the refrigerator wondering why there's no more ice cream. Well, you just ruined cream. my romantic movie right there. I just <laughs> took it right out of the ballpark. Okay. I'm just a mom standing in a room okay, looking okay. for lost shoes. <laughs> Yeah, I, I like some of those, too. So I love that movie. And my other one is Harold and Maude, which you wouldn't think of as a romantic movie, even though there is romance between Harold and Maude. It's Ruth Gordon and um, what's his, what's Don't Brad, me. Bud Court. Thank you, Dennis. Um, uh, it's from the early, very early 70s, I believe. And it's hysterical and touching. And uh, just uh, I highly, highly, highly recommend that movie to anybody. So um, what about you, Brian? Brian. Give it to us. Oh, my goodness. I am a romantic movie fanatic. Oh, so you were gritting your teeth through uh, while we were just doing it. Uh, oh, Hallmark. I watch three Hallmark movies a week. And, oh, okay. no. So you just said that when you wrote your stuff, you didn't want to write fluff, and then now you're a Hallmark person. So, so you so. like yeah. fluff. You just don't want to read fluff. No, I don't like to read it. Oh, okay. And let me, let me explain. All right. After 28 years in law enforcement, I dealt with some of the worst of the worst, you know, murders and um, rape child abuse and just some of the ugliest stuff that you would see. That makes sense. And when I retired, I really wanted to leave all of that behind. Mm -hmm. And I could sit and I can watch a Hallmark movie and initially, I didn't cry. I was like, oh, okay, that's a good movie. Now you ball like a baby, right? And now I cry at commercials. Okay. (laughs) Okay. All right. 
Okay, I do also cry at commercials. I do too. I'm, I'm a big I cry sack. at The Simpsons, so maybe that's, don't get me started. Maybe that's why I don't want to watch Hallmark movies. Is right, I would well, just yeah, like, we'll, and I know no one's going to get murdered in a Hallmark movie. Well, considering that setup, we'll let you slide on the Hallmark <laughs> movies there, Brian. Um, next, we want to talk about, we usually do um, good news, bad news. We're going to do this time, You Rock, You Suck. Kaylee, Okay, yours? here's my You Rock. I, t- Lindsay Spiro, a 25-year-old trans activist who injected himself with his testosterone in front of the Florida Board of Medicine to protest the ban on gender-affirming care for minors. He said, as he did this, quote, this is our home too, and we're going to fight tooth and nail for it. All right. The board watched in stunned silence. It was moving and brave, and he gets my vote for the U-Rock Prize this month. Uh, and you can find all of that if you just type in Lindsay Sparrow, trans activist, Florida. We'll link, we'll link to it. Yeah, for sure. So my U-Rock is Nebraska Senator Megan Hunt. She's a Democrat. Um, she proposed a bill that driving kids to vacation Bible school would become a misdemeanor in Nebraska <laughs> if a recent proposal by Nebraska Senator Megan Hunt passed into law. Hunt proposed to amend a bill that she was tacking her bill onto a bill to protect children from adult-themed drag performances by striking all the language and replacing it with similar language to bar children from religious indoctrination camps. She said, quote, This is an amendment that I will use to make a point about the underlying bill, LB371, which bans all ages drag shows. It won't pass, and I would withdraw it if it had the votes to pass. It's a device to make a point. We, would, we, need, to, we need not clench or worry. So this is how we need to proceed in politics with these bills um, coming out against um, our community agreed in in fact just springboarding off of that my nomination for the you suck award this month is tennessee republican lawmakers who introduced a truly heinous bill according to this legislation tennessee's medicaid program known as 10 care could no longer contract with managed care organizations if they provide coverage for gender transition treatment be it in tennessee or or any other state. So, wow. yeah, if they do it in any state, they can't be there in Tennessee at all. And the rule would apply to patients of all ages. The Senate approved this bill, 2066, I should say the state Senate, yeah. with all the chamber's Democrats, of course, voting against it. And Republican lawmakers had initially sought to open up parents and guardians to child abuse or neglect claims under the law, although that language has been stripped from both the House and Senate versions of the bill. And we're going to just have to watch it very carefully in the ACL you, of course, is already ready to start suing it. Mm. A storm. Wow. And my you suck goes to the latest presidential candidate, Nikki Haley, who said, quote, there was all this talk about the Florida bill that don't say gay bill. Basically, what it says was you shouldn't be able to talk about gender before third grade. I'm sorry. I don't think that goes far enough. When I was in school, you didn't have sex ed until seventh grade. And even then, your parents had to sign whether you could take the class. That's a decision for parents to make. They don't need to be teaching whether or not you're a boy or a girl, which, is, of course, is not... Uh, what they're teaching but oh my god um, it's more and more uh yeah exactly Mm. exactly so kalia what is your quote for the day okay my quote for the day is love many things for therein lies the true strength and whosoever loves much performs much and can accomplish much and what is done in love is done well that is vincent van gogh all right, that's great. And mine is, it's a, it's a choice to live in the open, and it's a choice to love who you love. The right choice is to make the choice, not to have the choice made for you.
And that's mine, actually. I wrote that. <laughs> <laughs> well done, oh, yeah, you. Well. You and, and Vincent. <laughs> okay, so you can find us more on It's a Queer Thing, T-H-A-N-G, at Facebook. And we're on Instagram. And we're on the Gmail. So it's a queer thing at gmail.com. So email us. Listen to our episodes. And our podcast episode will drop later on. And there uh, we are. Yeah, podcast will drop tomorrow. Thank you guys so much for being here. Thank you, Brian. Thank you. Thank you.